Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 111, 111. Ooh, it's got to mean something good. It's got to be lucky. What does that mean? 111, repeating numbers. Somebody help me there. 111 of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and before I introduce today's guest, which you may or may not have heard of, but you should have heard of him because the guy knows his stuff, um, a little bit about the sponsor of our show. And that's kind of a tricky thing because the sponsor of this show is actually me and the guide that I created for graphic designers who are sending files to printers working on print design. I created a guide that gave you gives you sort of the top things that are often missed even by really experienced designers when sending files into print. Some of the easiest things to check, but some of the things that are the most often forgotten. Head over to thequickiepodcast.com to find that. The reason I bring that up is because today's guest is Bill Gardner. He is the owner of Gardner Design, founder of Logo Lounge. Yeah, now you know him. Now you know the name. But during this episode, Bill and I get into some talk about print and how print allows designers to defy gravity, in his words. That's how he put it. Uh, We talk about some wicked Christmas cards that he's put together for print, talk about the future of print, and he speaks to print in different countries. We also go way back in this episode to his childhood. We learn about how that was and that he actually was a really talented magician back in the day. So he would go into these design studios looking for work and they'd say, hey, hey, why don't you show us a trick instead? We also talk about the Gardner family brand and the logo that uh, sort of went along with that, that it was with him through his childhood. He also tells us that he got an F in art as a sophomore and was more involved in theater at the time. He then tells us how the design thing came about and how it all transcended into that. This episode is full of stories. Part one here, part two tomorrow. Um... Man, Bill is fantastic to talk to. He's very energetic. He loves what he does. You can tell the passion in his voice. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get to this joyous interview with my fabulous guest, Mr. Bill Gardner. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Bill. How are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for uh, asking me on here, Dave. Oh, I'm so happy you made the time. And uh, the last question I have is, are you ready for a quickie then? Oh, yeah. Hey, I've had so many quickies in my life, but I heard you're special. <laughs> well, I am. That's what my mom tells me. That, you know, I've got some funny things to say and once in a while. Um, so let's start with the hardest question first. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so you know what? I, I don't want to go, uh, too far back. So when I was born, let's see, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do, um, a great deal of, uh, brand identity design and, uh, I have Gardner design, 
And I also have Logo Lounge, which was a uh, goofy little idea that came about back in 2001. Absolutely the absolute worst time to launch a business. <laughs> it was right after 9-11 had happened, and I was asking people to give me 100 bucks a piece. And nice. uh, <laughs> so, um, but uh, those that may know me may know me from uh, uh, Logo Lounge or a series of books that we've put out over the years uh, with Logo Lounge or from the LinkedIn Learning Courses that we do um, on identity and branding. Um, uh, people tend to catch me at the conferences at uh, How Design Annual. We tend to do our release of the um, uh, Logo Trend Report that we do each year. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like coming up on 17 years of doing that. Can you believe that? That's awesome. Um, yeah. No. So <laughs> a little bit about me. Perfect. Okay. So you are not a stranger to the design community, but uh, just to sort of get the logistics out of it, how long have you been rocking Gardner Design for? You know, uh, in, in 1983, I graduated from college and uh, with a degree in business and a degree in design. Mm -hmm. uh, so decided to put those two together since nobody would hire me and do a <laughs> design business. And uh, no, I, I, I kid you not. I, uh, so I put my way through college doing magic. And I was relatively well known uh, for that uh, regionally. And I had traveled all over the world uh, doing magic at that point. So I would go in and I'd show my portfolio and people would go, hey, gosh, your stuff looks great. Show me a trick. You know, and, <laughs> and, and I realized that was the point at which I needed to put that part of my life away and focus on, you know, uh, just the design. So that's and, where you say uh, for my first trick, I'm going to make your job opening disappear. <laughs> you see, if you'd only been sitting beside me at the time, it would have really helped. But uh, yeah. Awesome. Okay. So you actually started down this path and I'm going to take it right there. I want to go back sure. to little baby Bill Gardner and I want to yep. go back to your childhood and ask you about, you know, did you have a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? Yep. Um, I came from a family where there were um, uh, a good number of people that all ended up being in the arts in one way or the other, um, you know, uh, somewhat uh, as part of their living. And uh, my father was a, uh, a home builder, mm -hmm. but his father uh, was quite the designer of homes. And uh, uh, when I was uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll make that little segue for you, which is that uh, my grandfather, and keep in mind, I'm in Wichita, Kansas. So we're mm -hmm. in the middle of cattle country and oil country and all that. Um, uh, he had started into uh, cattle and oil early on and failed in both careers. <laughs> uh, <Okay>. <laughs> but uh, when he was um, in cattle, uh, he and his father had a brand. Uh, and their brand was a diamond bar. So imagine a diamond shape uh, sitting atop of a bar that lays horizontally underneath it. And that was what they would brand on their cattle. And uh, when he ultimately got into the uh, home construction business, he started every house that he would build. He would like go onto the trellis or onto the front door and he would tack on these little diamond bar shapes <laughs> out of wood. Every house was unique the way he did that. And uh, by the time my father took over the business, he had kind of reduced that down to a, a little aluminum plaque that said a gardener home, which had this diamond and the bar underneath. 
it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the the truck that they drove around for building, I still got old pictures of it. Said uh, the Diamond Guard or the uh, Diamond Bar Gardener brand, you know. So I mean, early on, I can recall redrawing that Diamond Bar, kind mm-hmm. of thinking, you know, if it was a little bit thicker down here, or if I could <laughs> let, me get, let me get my red crayon. If I was in red, and it was, you know, so I can early on recall redrafting a logo uh, that was the family brand. If you will, yeah, and uh, there, there you go. There's that uh, little impetus of the whole branding. So now, tell me, the first logo for Gardner Design wasn't mm. the diamond with the bar underneath? No, no, and you know, uh, so we do so much nomenclature and naming uh, for companies that I'm almost embarrassed to share this, but there <laughs> are those people that know. Um, so, uh, literally, the the original name of the company was Gardner's Graphic Hands. and Gardner's you know, Graphic Hands. Yeah, absolutely the worst name, you know, you could uh, potentially have come up with. And it was, um, it's interesting, Dave, the number of people I know that uh, when they do start a business, they start it with a logo that was a mandate of one of their professors in college. Mm-hmm. Okay, draw a logo for yourself. And my logo was this little... Uh, oh, it was a uh, triangular-shaped hand holding a technical pin because technical <laughs> pins were, you know, how you drew things at the time. It was pre-computer. Yeah. And uh, that that was the Gardner's graphic hand that uh, uh, I utilized as my very first logo. Now, I did some amazing as craft collateral with it. Yeah. But it was, and, and it wasn't that bad of a logo, but it was the world's butt-ugliest name. <laughs> I really hope you bring back some like vintage swag, like t-shirts and stuff with that logo, Bill. You know, it, it's probably time. It, you know, it is time. So, so when that was happening was when FedEx was in its infancy and I was so inspired by things like, you know, if you, if you go back to, uh, Saul Bass's, uh, uh, red, orange, and blue stripes down the side of the United Plains mm-hmm. or the gold red stripes down the side of the continental plains or FedEx had their, uh, orange and two shades of orange and, and, and purple bar that kind of went down the sides of their trucks and, uh, I, so I had a three color scheme. It was a uh, orange, red, and violet, uh, kind of bar that went along with that graphic hands for Gardner, you know, Gardner's graphic hands. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, gosh, with, with all of that kind of tricolor bar and seventies emphasis kind of coming back, I can see it. You're right, Dave. You may get the <laughs> shirt. Yeah. I, I'm fine with like a 2% royalty. That's totally fine. We don't need to go higher than that. You're, you're willing to pay 2% of my losses. That is excellent. <laughs> um, so, Bill, was there, a, was there a defining moment in your, whether it's your childhood or through high school or something, where graphic design clicked for you? You had mentioned the Gardner logo, that family sure. brand. Was that the yeah. first time you started noticing design out in the world? No, I mean, I'd, I'd always been involved in art courses. I, I literally failed. I literally received an F my sophomore year uh, in uh, art in high school uh, because I just totally hated the project and just kind of put it away. Um, but uh, is, is I, I was involved in theater as well, and I was involved in designing sets and um, uh, can recall uh, for my father's uh, company doing modest little amounts of design. So it, it was always there in the kind of the background 
And uh, the, the real reason for the jump from business to design was uh, when I graduated with my business degree, I was, uh, my father's business had drifted over to real estate appraisal at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was expected to go into the real estate appraisal business. And I, I couldn't see myself devoting the rest of my life to telling people what their houses were worth. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I knew there was um, something more there. So I kind of put that degree to the side and said, you know, I'm not tied down. So I went off to another school and started pursuing the design degree. And hey. So you knew you had talented gardener hands and you just weren't quite it, sure that that was yeah. the way to use them. Didn't know. <laughs> um, so, Bill, what do you think stands out to you as maybe the most influential design of your life so far? It could be something you've seen or even something that you've been a part of that's really stuck with you and influenced you. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I'm going to go a direction maybe you're not expecting here, uh, which is uh, uh, my wife, Andrea, uh, has uh, always uh, kind of, I think, pressed me to, to look a little bit further forward. And I can recall early in our marriage, um, when we would uh, travel, I would always make an opportunity to visit other designers uh, mm-hmm. and the like. So that and it was how I developed a lot of the relationships that I have today. And uh, uh, I can remember saying, "What? What's the next thing mm-hmm. in in identity design? You know, what what's what's that next thing beyond the logo? What what's that going to be?" And I think that that probably drove me more than anything to um, to really kind of consider that question. And it's part of the reason that we do the um, uh, the trend reports mm-hmm. is you know to to kind of identify that that next thing that is out there so when you ask for what's that one thing you know um it's it's kind of intriguing for me to be able to look back at uh the reports or the work that we do over the years or the work that people submit on logo lounge and kind of go you know um i can remember the the year that monoline design started in its little infancy where you know you started seeing these logos had these wispy thin little lines Mm -hmm. you know but they hadn't really fully developed yet. You know, um, they were, they were still evolving and they hadn't fully formed into what we recognize as monoline design that, you know, has kind of taken over, uh, design in some aspects of the last decade mm-hmm. or, you know, um, uh, when, when people really started introducing gradations into, um, uh, logos wholeheartedly, or when people started taking a look at transparency, um, you know, for the very first time in logos, uh, on, on each of those, I can remember when you started seeing that little, that little nuance of these things starting to form and appear, but you couldn't find them consistently, you know, out there and you really had to search for them. And then within, you know, a two or three year period, it was just the landscape was littered, you know, with uh, logos that were, were following that. Mm-hmm. So to, to me, that that blast has always been trying to find that little nugget of an idea that's hanging out there that hasn't yet caught fire. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's kind of like an ember. If you think about an ember, an ember is a really unique state for something to be in. It's, you know, um, it's either seconds away from being extinguished or seconds away from lighting a bonfire. Mm-hmm. You know, it can go either way. And sometimes people design something and you go, that's really interesting. And you never see it again. Other times you see it and within just you know, a year's time, you know, it's, it's complete conflagration and everybody's following that direction. Mm-hmm. So, pretty fun. 
That's great. So how did that interaction happen with those designers? Would you literally just walk into the studios and ask to speak to the graphic designer or? <laughs> so, um, show me your greatest designer. Yeah. <laughs> it, and, um, uh, so I'll, I'll share a story. I think it was about, uh, 19, well, it was probably about 1983. Um, and again, I was, uh, still doing magic and, uh, design at the same time. And uh, uh, for a number of years, we put on a, uh, when I say we, there was a gentleman here in Wichita named uh, Joe Stevens, who's kind of this godfather of magic that knew all the magicians. And he took me under his arm and uh, was my mentor. But um, um, uh, at the time, we put on a magic convention in Las Vegas every year. And uh, uh, it was co-hosted by Siegfried and Roy or uh, David Copperfield and the like. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time wow. uh, with that, yeah, really, with that genre. And um, uh, we had pre-visited L.A. because they were having the Magic Arts Awards out there that were being hosted by Cary Grant, of all people, at the time. And um, uh, knowing that I was going to L.A., I thought, you know, I'm going to drop a letter out to uh, Saul Bass and see if he doesn't, you know, uh, have enough time that I could pop by the office and visit. So I start typing this letter out, typing because pre-computer, and uh, the letter kind of starts out uh, something like, uh, "Dear, dear Mr. Bass, I'm going to be in Los Angeles um, on such and such a date, and I'd love to come by and visit you at your studio. I'm a great admirer of yours, and and I know that you're probably going to be busy, so uh, whether you're there or not, I'd still like to drop by, and maybe I could visit with somebody else, and and I and I know you're going to be busy." So um, maybe maybe I'll just drive by and wave as I go. You know, but I had talked my way out of visiting him by the In time the letter. I was writing the letter. At uh, which point, my father's secretary uh, saw me struggling with this and took it from me and said, "Dear Mr. Bass, I'm going to be in town on such and such a date. I'll drop by your studio and you know uh, visit with you." So I can, I you know, uh, it, that was the beginning of it. And I I, I would I you know rent a car and I'd drive by their place and uh, go in and uh, that was you know how I met any number of uh, designers over the years and uh, you know uh, had, had a tremendous visit with Saul Bass. He was a terse individual but um, uh, you know it, it's one of those things where I remember going to Hawaii for a magic convention uh, we were doing out there and visiting with Clarence Lee who had designed the Hawaiian Airlines identity and a lot of other brands back then and uh, going into their office and showing them a magic trick and then wanting to see him, you know, see the office and them going, stick with the magic. magic." uh, They're going, great card trick. That's great. You know, um, so in 87, we uh, uh, started the AIGA chapter in Wichita, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there were only 16 chapters in the U.S. And they had no plan to put one in Wichita. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we did everything necessary, got the thing going. It was probably the smallest chapter um, uh, in the country at the time. But we brought in tremendous designers, you know, uh, from uh, Michael Vanderbilt and Chuck Anderson and Kit Heinrichs. And, you know, I mean, a lot, a lot of foundation designers. And uh, I was the original president and had a chance to uh, travel to the other chapters and do president's meetings with Michael Beirut and, you know, um, all of the other chapters at the time. And that really built this kind of foundation of uh, a lot of the relationships that to this day, you know, are good friends and um, just have stuck with us over the years. So, you know, it's tremendous to have that kind of a background. I've just 
I always consider myself the most fortunate person in the world, and uh, I, I have been. Awesome. And you know, that's a great uh, segue into the next question, um, which is who is some of the designers or brands that you act like you currently look up to or closely follow? And what is it about them that you like? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're asking that because it's one of the things that we end up asking people that we interview. Uh, when uh, they're looking for a job, because mm. typically if you find that there are people that you're not following um, uh, or that people aren't following, then, you know, uh, they really aren't paying attention to uh, what's going on in the world. Um, you know, uh, I, I will tell you that doing Logo Lounge and the Logo Lounge books um, have given me that chance to uh, invite lots and lots of really wonderful designers to um, uh, serve as the judges in those books mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to really select the best of design work. And if you kind of go back through those, you're going to find a lot of the people that I really admire and uh, that I really pay a lot of attention to. Um, uh, uh, Stefan Sagmeister, I will, you know, uh, despite the fact that he's kind of quasi going into this little bit of retirement <laughs> uh, 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 stuff, um, I, I think from a conceptual standpoint, he would never call himself an identity designer. Mm -hmm. um, that I think uh, he conceptually is one of the uh, the better thinkers when it comes to you know how to how to really expand out um, uh, a brand. Mm -hmm. um, I I still look to uh, a lot of uh, really large firms out there, but I look to a lot of individuals um, that are smaller firms. Um, uh, I'll tell you that I think uh, if you're just talking pure logo designers, that Jay Fletcher is worth his weight in gold. Um, does really just amazing design. Um, Iconologic. Uh, uh, I like a lot. Um, uh, I, I pay a, a lot of attention to just a lot of individual uh, designers more so than the agencies that they're with. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, tremendous skill sets out there. Jaron Von Aaron, um, um, uh, you know, the other thing about Logo Lounge is that you start to realize that um, – we, we kind of isolate ourselves sometimes in our thinking design community wise, you know, we, we tend to think about those people that, um, uh, that we know or that are regional or around us. And, uh, with logo lounge, you're, you're literally, uh, building this community of designers in more than a hundred countries around the world that mm -hmm. you're talking on a daily basis and uh, seeing great design work that somebody does in Australia this morning that is maybe for a baker there and somebody sees that design elsewhere um, in in the world before that uh, that baker even sells their first loaf of bread that day you know so uh, man yeah, that's incredible what an experience that would be isn't design moving quick <laughs> that's for sure um, so Bill, the next couple of questions I have for you are around print and print design and being a gentleman who has put together a few books in his day. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about how you have utilized print in your design career and, you know, can you share some of those experiences with us? Yeah. So, um, not many people know that, uh, one of my other little tendencies is that I love three dimensional design. Mm -hmm. and that uh, over the uh, years 
Uh, one of the little things that Gardner Design has become known for is uh, these three-dimensional cards, um, oftentimes developed for clients, that are, are, are my little cathartic escape. I um, uh, kind of sit in here and I, I, I do all the beautiful folding and the likes and then hand it off to one of our designers to embellish it and make it beautiful <laughs> on the surface. Yeah, make this pretty. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and um, I I always feel like it's a crappy task me asking them to do that, but uh, but you know, it's it's one of those things where um, uh, print for uh, its precarious position that it's kind of in right now, I will tell you is one of those things that um, allows designers to defy gravity. Um, you know, we, we can design something and put it in someone's hand and they can either decide to pitch that thing in the trash or it can be so intrinsically unique to them and, you know, uh, aesthetically pleasing that they couldn't bring themselves to set it down. Mm-hmm. And it's dependent on us because that same piece of paper is going to either go up or down and we can make it defy gravity. We really can. Yeah. So when you say 3D cards, can you define that a little bit? Mm, yep. I'm sitting here. <laughs> you can see me. So I'm staring around my office kind of going, have I got any hands? Yeah. Where are the 3D uh, cards? <laughs> and, you know, um, actually, if somebody were to uh, go online and look up, uh, uh, there is a client that we did these for for years called Aspen Traders. <laughs> um, uh, so if you were to look up Aspen Traders cards, or Christmas cards, you would find them there. But when I say uh, dimensional, these are cards that are um, highly folded, um, that are designed in such a way that uh, one of the mandates is typically that as it comes out of the envelope, it doesn't require any assembly that it, you know, fully forms itself uh, right there in place. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, usually are... Uh, designed in such a way that there is a lot of layering and dimension to it. And uh, it's the kind of thing that somebody sets on their shelf and they can't bring themselves to pull it off of the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, uh, and, you know, it's uh, uh, when I, when I talk about designing dimensionally, um, uh, I'm, I'm not only designing dimensionally for uh, uh, cards, but I'm, you can tell I'm reaching across here and trying to grab something. <laughs> ah, there we go. Um, but it, but it's also uh, it's taking so cool. designing it so that um, it is uh, going to be a dimensional installation, or uh, you know, we. But, but dimension to me has always just been this um, uh, uh, I, candy. It's it's mm-hmm. just you know um, it's that tasty place that you can go as a designer because uh, you know there there are lots of designers that design beautifully in two dimensions, mm-hmm. but once you kind of break that boundary, that's when people really start to you know something becomes tactile and people want to be involved with it. It reminds me of a Christmas card that I received, um, or actually somebody I worked with received from Infinity Automobiles, and ah. it was a laser cut 
Christmas card that was sort of Ooh. set in a paper frame. And, oh. you know, if you imagine it on the production side, it was this long, strung out, laser cut image of scenery that uh-huh. when you folded, 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 folded back and forth on one another and put it in this paper frame, it created this multi dimensional depth imagery with hills and trees and a city in the background. And it what was all night. cut out and it was amazing. Yeah. It hung around the yeah. office for years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the exact point. Uh, to it, you know. I mean, uh, how many how many cards do you receive in you know uh, the, Not enough. The, the length of a year? You know, I'll put you on my list, Dave. I'm feeling sorry for you now. Man. <laughs> I get no cards, Bill. I get no cards. <laughs> uh, well, that's a great example. So, where do you think the print is at right now? What is it doing well? What What is the strong point of the print industry right now? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to answer that uh, maybe a little bit differently than you would hope. Um, uh, this last uh, year, I spent some time in India. I was invited over to um, uh, their major print convention, mm-hmm. uh, which is held for the Pacific Rim. And uh, the reason they brought me over was to speak about the future of print. And it was really unique because when when you find yourself looking at print, we tend to think of it uh, from a domestic standpoint or from a Western um, uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. But when you find yourself in the Pacific Rim, which covers such a broad group of um, cultures, Mm-hmm. and economic conditions uh, and the likes, you, you, you very quickly start to realize that uh, uh, there, there's no consistency of where the print industry stands mm-hmm. right within that environment. And I, I kind of wanted to go over and say, you know, um, uh, hopefully print's kind of going to see a resurrection and because uh, obviously there are plenty of people that are talking about uh, how poorly the print industry is doing, you know, mm. because of digital effect. But in, in fact, you know, when, when you get uh, other areas of the world, you find out that the print industry is thriving, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, just doing amazing things. And uh, um, uh, so, so here, here's kind of my reduction of uh, print. And um, uh, my, my daughter is 24. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, graduated uh, from architecture school. She's an architect. And um, uh, for her thesis, she she and I had been talking about uh, her generation and um, uh, their affinity for ownership of things. Mm -hmm. And when you start to talk about an experience for um, uh, her generation, an experience is a thing. Um, you know, uh, uh, when, when I would invite somebody into my home, you know, I, I, I might consider those things on my shelves or the furnishings or what's hanging on the wall to kind of represent me. Mm-hmm. And you make it the very same way, Dave. Mm-hmm. But when, when you start talking to somebody um, uh, of a current generation, you're going to find that really their possessions are their experiences. And they're mostly on their phone. <laughs> you know, hmm. if, if, if they wanted to share something that was a possession of theirs, how would they share it? Well, they, they might text it. They might post it. Um, it might be on Instagram. It might be on Snapchat. It might be, you know, but, but that is that. That is the way of sharing uh, a possession is that experience. And what you're starting to see is that there's this fascination by 
an oncoming generation with this idea of tangible things that they're not accustomed to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you're kind of shifting over uh, from uh, everything being um, uh, very digital uh, in orientation. Think of this. Think of the number of uh, people and the number of hours spent watching people uh, do unpackagings mm-hmm. or unboxings. You know, uh, what what is it? it? It's a generation that's fascinated with a box that their iPhone came in, you know, as they're starting to peel it apart and they're they're pulling the acetates off of the iPhone. They're, <laughs> oh, look at this. Well, what, what are they doing? They're, they're going through this kind of religious experience mm-hmm. with print. It, you know, I mean, it's this substantive thing, this tangible thing that they're having this experience with. And part of it's because they're not as accustomed to those experiences as generations that grew up with that. So this whole idea of tangibility is kind of coming back around mm-hmm. and it is what's driving it. So. so it's in a spot almost where um, things have been digital for so long that people are almost, uh, you know, really wanting to experience, have tangible experiences yep. because it's so different than what they're used to. Yeah. So that's yeah. where we've become normal to quickly scanning past an Instagram ad, uh, whatever, another ad and scrolling yep. through. Whereas if something like that arrived in our mailbox, it's, Oh, what is this? It, it's tangible. It's, it's something that gets a little bit more attention than it would have 10 years ago. Ah, Yeah. Yeah, take take a look at your Instagram feed. Uh, the number of things that are, you know, um, that that people covet, that are print, mm-hmm. you know, that they're Very they're true. showing digitally, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I mean, I I think that that's kind of a bellwether or kind of an indicator of this um, kind of resurgence of print to some degree is the fact that hey, I'm <laughs> I'm going to show you a picture of this, but I've got the real thing, you know. It's, you know. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so Bill, the next couple of questions I have. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to part one of my interview with Mr. Bill Gardner. Part two goes up tomorrow. And for part two, that's when we really get into the stories, the projects that he's been a part of that he's the most proud of and a whole bunch of them for that, uh, projects he's been a part of where mistakes were made, lessons he learned, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so tune in tomorrow morning for part two. Thank you again, and we'll see you tomorrow.